beauty and skincare is always a hot topic around here, and today I want to tell you about a new product line I've discovered that I think you will like, Exponent Beauty. Listeners of the show will receive 20% off their purchase. More details on that in a minute. Exponent Beauty is a skincare brand with a line of activated anti-aging serums that are clinically proven to reduce fine lines and wrinkles. The beauty of Exponent Beauty is their innovative form factor. The powders are activated with a quadruple hyaluronic acid serum in their patented precision-dosed dispenser. The packaging is gorgeous, and the dispenser itself is refillable, so it has also reduced plastic waste. Exponent Beauty's line of serums can be found in med spas and spas and dermatologists' office around the country. The line is dermatologist-recommended and clinically proven to reduce those fine lines and wrinkles, and to increase brightness and radiance, and to firm skin without irritation. No more expired or underutilized products with Exponent Beauty, just high-quality skincare with ingredients that work. Go to ExponentBeauty.com and use code TELL20 for 20% off a purchase of $100 or more. That's Exponent, E-X-P-O-N-E-N-T, Beauty, B-E-A-U-T-Y.com and use code TELL20, T-E-L-L, the numbers two zero for 20% off your purchase of $100 or more. to tell you. And you, my friend, have 10 things to tell. Each episode has a prompt and a topic that I want you to take to your journal, text to your best friend, or answer on social media using the hashtag 10 things to tell you. This is a show about digging deeper and sharing our stuff. I'll go first. Welcome to episode number one, the first official full episode of the 10 Things to Tell You podcast. It only seems fitting to start this show with my very favorite topic of all time, books, reading. This is my favorite hobby, pastime. It's my chosen way to spend a free hour. Books are what I like to talk about the most. I am so passionate about reading, but forever and ever, in real life and online, I get the same questions over and over and over. It is the basis for today's prompt, and that is, when do you read? People ask me, how do you read so much? I have really simple answers to these questions, but there is so much to say about the general topic of reading that I wanted to do a whole episode around the thoughts and tips to reading more. I am no expert on this or on anything, really. These are just my ideas around creating a good reading habit. And of course, I want to hear about your reading routines and preferences. So if you post about this episode on social media and answer the question, when do you read, please tag the show at 10 things to tell you. So here's the thing about reading. Everyone has time to read everyone, literally every single person who is listening to this podcast has time to read books. This isn't really a case of just like, oh, if you prioritize it, you'll do it. I mean, it's like a tiny bit of that, but it's, it's not like exercise or travel 
or any of those things that sometimes fall under the umbrella of like, anyone can do it if they just plan. No, reading a book requires no planning, no money, no certain clothes, no shower afterwards. (laughs) Besides obtaining the thing you're going to read, which you can buy or borrow or pull off your shelf, all that reading requires is time and not even that much of it really. My big secret to finding that time and to reading roughly a book a week, that has been my pace for a while now. I read about one book a week. My secret to that is a timer. I know it's not very exciting. A timer. I set a timer on my phone for 20 minutes and I read and I only read. I do not scroll Instagram. I do not get up and stir the soup for dinner. I sit and I read until the timer goes off. Now, at this stage in my life, I have school-aged children and I have a little bit more flexibility in my schedule. So now I set the timer for 20 minutes, but I do that several times a day. So right now, I'm actually reading more than 20 minutes a day. But, but, there have been times in my life when my kids were little or when I was working on a TV show that shot like 14 hours a day, those 20 minutes were all I got. And it was still effective. You can still make it through an average size book in a week or two by reading 20 minutes a day. Trust me. So whenever I talk about the timer trick, because I've been talking about this online for a long time, there are always a few people who say that they tried it at night before bed and then they fell asleep. So it didn't work. Okay, I believe them. That probably did happen. At night before bed if you're trying to build a habit, and especially if you have little tiny kids, is not the most ideal time. If that's the only time that you have, honestly, then maybe you shouldn't read in bed. Maybe you need to sit in a chair or something. The timer trick works if you're short on time, like if you're on a lunch break, if your baby's napping, but it's really great if you just need a jump start. I often read long past the timer. I just need the discipline to sit down in the first place. The next obvious question is when to employ the timer trick. Now look, this is on you, whatever your schedule looks like, but I'm going to tell you what I do. I like to read nonfiction in the morning. It's a ritual I have after my kids get on the bus at 7.15 a.m. Oh my God, it's so early. I sit down with something warm and I set my trusty timer to 20 minutes and I read something to set the tone for the day. I like something aspirational or productivity-minded. I really like self-help type books. I almost always read those in the morning first thing. I have other things I do around that time. I have a whole morning routine that I like. I journal, I stare at my planner, but it always starts with 20 minutes of nonfiction reading. Later in the day, I usually take a break from working or parenting, whatever I'm doing, before the crazy dinner hour, so sometime between 4 and 5.30, let's say. And I set my little timer and I read a novel for 20 minutes. So that's when I get my fiction in, is late in the day, usually. It's a way for me to wind down. It's also a transition from workday and tasks to evening and family time. It's just a general way to use the timer, and I am pretty consistent with those two things on the weekdays. I also love to spend an hour or so on Saturday and Sunday reading. That's just my preferred way to laze around instead of watching TV or something like that or a movie. I like to read. 
I also always have a book with me when I'm out and about because even though I'm not totally consistent with this, it is so much better for my mental health and for my eyeballs, my aging eyes. Honestly, it's better for me to spend wait time somewhere reading a book instead of scrolling my phone. You know, afternoons I have to take my kids to sports practice or I have to wait on an appointment somewhere. And while I love my phone, I am addicted to my phone even, that's a whole other show topic, I feel better when I use that extra time reading instead of scrolling. Another thing I do, which always gets a bunch of feedback when I post about it online, is I take myself out for reading lunches. I am a work-at-home mom. I'm always looking for ways to structure my days. And one thing that I've realized that works for me is to take one day a week and knock off a bunch of errands. It's just mentally better, works better for me to block off hours to get a bunch of running around done instead of doing like one small errand a day. Anyway, on the day I'm running around town, I reward myself with a reading lunch. I like to go out to lunch at a restaurant, like with a waiter, not fast food. I treat myself to a good meal and a good book. So that usually ends up being 30, 45 minutes worth of reading, sometimes an hour if I stretch it. And I love it. It's such a highlight to my week. I know that sometimes people have hangups about eating alone in a restaurant. Let me tell you, I have never, not one single time, had a waiter or a hostess or anyone be weird about it. Never. Now, another question I get asked is how I read. These days, I vastly prefer to read on my Kindle Paperwhite. I am a Kindle Paperwhite evangelist. I love it so much. It only has one function, and that is to read. You can't do email. There's no browser. I love the size. The screen is so easy on my eyes, and it's a good price point, I think. It's about $120, and it means that I can have a stack of books with me in my purse at all times. I do still like a physical book. I know that that is the purest point of view. Actually, for the morning reading that I already talked about, I like a physical book because I like to underline and I like to flip back and forth to passages in my nonfiction. Also, if I have an instinct that I'm going to love, 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 super love a book and want to own it, like because it's by a cherished author or it's just something getting a lot of buzz, I will then purchase the hardback. But logistically... For comfort reasons, I mostly prefer to read novels on my paper white. I can hold it in one hand, I can read in the dark, I can lay down with it, all of those things. The next obvious way that people get more reading in is by listening to audiobooks. Because of course you can multitask, which is appealing to a lot of people. My stance on audiobooks has changed over the last couple of years. I used to be one of those people who thought it didn't count as reading or that I was like cheating reading or something. I don't know why I thought that. I think I thought that you had to do the work of reading, that you had to sit down and commit to it for it to count. Like a person couldn't possibly be appreciating the artistry of writing and storytelling while they were also navigating traffic or cleaning the kitchen. But I don't think that way anymore. I think that taking in the information, however your brain does that, is what quote unquote counts here. So I will say that I personally cannot listen to novels on audiobook. I get distracted. I cannot keep the characters straight. It's just not how my brain works. But I have less judgment than I used to for people who are able to take in a novel audibly. I think we should just eradicate the question 
of whether audiobooks do or do not count. It's not every day that you find a product that you truly love and want to shout about from the rooftops. Well, friends, I have found something that I am genuinely excited to share with you today, and that is Born Shoes. Born Shoes are made with the best top quality leather with functional stitching and flexibility. They are lightweight, but they're also supportive. They are great for all casual occasions, extremely comfortable, and especially good for travel. The brand recently gifted me a pair of the Ithaca style sandals. Of course, they are beautiful. The footbed has extra foam for added comfort and with a slight heel for lift. I am positive that I could walk all over London in this pair of shoes, just like I did in my Born sandals last summer. Born Shoes offers sandals, flats, boots, and heels in several styles and color choices. Take comfort in Born Shoes. Every season, they make high-quality shoes that feel as good as they look. With artistic touches, unparalleled craftsmanship, and exquisite materials, Born designs shoes to satisfy the demands of every lifestyle. Go to bornshoes.com for a 15% discount plus free ground shipping on all full-price shoes when you use my promo code TELL. That's born, B-O-R-N, shoes, S-H-O-E-S, dot com and use promo code TELL, T-E-L-L, for 15% off and free shipping, available exclusively to our listeners for a limited time. Y'all know that I love to play games on my phone to unwind, and I am always looking for a new one to download. And I recently ran across Two Dots, and I want to tell you about it. Two Dots is a free-to-download, puzzle-based game that involves connecting dots through relaxing puzzles while unlocking levels and collecting prizes along the way. There are different gameplay modes to make the experience unique and exciting with every single puzzle. There are over five thousand distinct puzzles with various power-ups and special dots ready to earn as you move through the levels. The in-app music and visually stimulating interface provide a soothing experience when you just want to relax and unwind. Not only is Two Dots free to download, but it can also be played without internet connection. So playing on the go offline is a breeze. And if you don't want to play alone, you can challenge your friends on Facebook as well as connect with the larger Two Dots community for even more engagement. If you're looking for the perfect game to help you relax but also keep you engaged, download Two Dots for free on Android and iOS. I listened to probably seven audiobooks last year, so that definitely added to my overall reading list. And they were honestly books that I probably wouldn't have gotten to otherwise. However, it's still not my go-to, even for nonfiction, because of podcasts. I love podcasts. There's such satisfaction to short form. So if I'm going to have listening time, like when I'm in the car or something, I almost always press play on a podcast instead of an audiobook. I was reading a Facebook thread a while ago about reading goals and setting personal goals for reading, and I was surprised that some people were saying they purposefully chose shorter books, especially towards the end of the year, in order to meet their reading goals. And this took me aback. I actually don't set reading goals. I think they're helpful if you're trying to read more, but I'm pretty good with my pace. So... I just don't set an arbitrary reading goal. I guess the question about book length gave me pause because the only time I choose a book based on page number is when we're choosing for book club because sometimes we're on a tight schedule. We need something that the whole group can for sure finish in two weeks or something. Or maybe I choose on size if I'm traveling, 
but the paper white is pretty much eliminated that concern. So anyway, I'm curious what you think about that, choosing a book for page number. Again, if you're trying to get into the habit of reading, maybe size matters so that you're not overwhelmed or you need the satisfaction of finishing a book. But in general, size in books isn't something that I give much consideration. I definitely wouldn't want to choose something lesser in quality just because it was shorter because I was trying to meet a goal. Not that shorter means lesser in quality at all. I do not say that. I just mean in the decision-making process because another thing people ask a lot about was how to choose what I read. I wish I was more intentional about this, actually. I basically just pick up what I'm in the mood for. I constantly have a really big to-read stack going on my bedside, on my Kindle. I just read what I'm in the mood for, what excites me in the moment. I do like to switch around genres, so if I read something really heavy, I'll probably go for something light next time, that kind of thing. But I don't have a ton of advice on that front. I would like to hear what other people have to say about how they choose what they're reading. I will say, however, one year I hosted a challenge on my old blog, and the challenge was called Read Great Books, and it was kind of like an online book club. We read a classic novel once a month. We did Frankenstein. We did Pride and Prejudice. And then we had a conversation about it on Facebook. And I really liked that challenge because I was trying to read more classics. I'd kind of gotten into too much contemporary, I felt like. So it was a good challenge at the time. But ultimately, between hosting that and reading for my real life book club, I kind of ended up feeling like I was reading homework or it had become a chore because I wasn't getting to fully choose what I was reading. So for me now, I know that it's good to have a mix of should reads, like when I'm trying to learn about something or a a book that's getting a ton of attention, and then just what I'm in the mood for, what I want to read. Also, I have no hesitation, zero hesitation to put a book down if I'm not feeling it. I do like to give it a fair shake because I'm rarely a totally random reader. I've usually chosen a book for a reason because I've heard good things about it. I like the author. Someone I trust recommended it or it's like one award. Some some reason I have chosen this book. So I will give it 75 to 100 pages or 20% ish on my Kindle before I put it down. I really, I, I will give it a good go. But honestly, life is too short to read bad books. There are so many amazing things out there to read. I don't want to waste my time. On the rare occasion that I will go ahead and finish a book because I like absolutely have to know the plot twist or it's something we're reading for book club, I have to remind myself that no one is keeping score. There is no great moral compass in the sky over finishing something you started. And this is true for all of life, but especially for books. Release yourself of that burden. There's one thing, though, that I do feel a bit of a burden around in the reading community, and that is publicly rating the books. I can way overthink the rating system on Amazon or Goodreads. I really dislike giving one or two stars to something because I always, always, always think about the author and I do not want the author to see that I didn't care for their book because assuming they put a lot into it. But I realize as a consumer that it's actually unhelpful for all books to have all five stars when it's really not a five-star book, you know? So while I dislike saying negative things about someone's book, I will give it my true star rating. 
if I have genuine hesitations about rating it publicly, I just, I won't, I won't rate it publicly. And in my secret posts, I do an email called the secret posts that goes out once a month. You can sign up for those at 10thingstotellyou.com. I will sometimes be um, a little more candid in my reviews in the email than something that is going to be able to pop up on Google or on Goodreads or something. So one time on Goodreads, I saw the author Roxane Gay say something about how Goodreads is for readers, not for authors. That's why she felt fine about rating something um, truly, like that might end up being on a lower scale. And that resonated with me. I understood what she meant by that. And so I've kind of tried to do more of that on Goodreads, thinking that this is for the readers, not for the authors. I don't hold back on a five-star rating. And I'm frankly confused by people who are really stingy with the five stars. Why are you stingy? Do I think rating a classic novel five stars to be the same thing as rating a beach read five stars? No. I can rate both of those things five stars, and it does not put them in the same category of literature. I rate them for what they are. One has withstood the test of time, remains relevant. One was thoroughly entertaining and funny, and I loved it. I will give them both five stars, the best rating for their category, understanding that not all categories are created equal. One thing I rarely do, though, is rate something based on disagreeing with the content. I have no idea if this is the right way to think about it or not, but I will not give something a bad rating because there's a political or religious element that I disagree with. Like that does not feel like a fair starting point in which to rate something. I try to be as humanly possible. I try to be objective in my rating. Like was it well written? Was it well structured? If I disagree fundamentally with an author's premise or position, but I read the book to understand or learn, then I may note that in the review or just not rate it at all because I wasn't coming to it from a fair or objective place. I asked on Instagram what people want to know about others' reading habits. Danielle asked, I've been thinking of tracking my readers in my Erin Condren Life Planner rather than devoting an entire journal for tracking. I feel like keeping track of too many journals, planners, and apps was distracting to my reading life. What do you think? That is a good question. My tracking system is super simple. I just keep a note in my Evernote app for each year of reading. And every time I finish a book, I enter it by the month. So I have, you know, January, and then I list the books by that month, and I do give it a star rating, and that's it. It's just for me to see what I've read and how I rated it. That's as formal as it gets. I keep no other notes. I do update my Goodreads. That's really just for the social aspect. I dislike the way Goodreads keeps track of books. I don't think that they show every single book I've read. Things get out of order. I really do not find it to be a very user-friendly platform. So I lean more heavily on my own Evernote. I know that I wrote everything down there, and that's on my phone. German Girl asks, I want to know how to pick good books, especially as someone who cannot handle stressful books. How do I find something that's not complete fluff, but that isn't scary or super sad? Okay, so I said earlier, I don't have this problem, but I do know that it can be a real one for people who are sensitive to content. 
I highly recommend finding like-minded people in real life or online who can recommend books that fall under your personal guidelines. Like a wonderful librarian or a bookstore owner or worker, they are worth their weight in gold for this. There are also so many book bloggers and reviewers online that hopefully you can find someone that somewhat match your taste. I am probably not that person for you because I tend to like dark and disturbing books, but I know they're out there. I think that Anne Bogle from the Modern Mrs. Darcy blog and the podcast, What Should I Read Next?, does a great job of forewarning on disturbing books. Anne isn't always recommending books for the sensitive reader only, but I think she does a really good job of keeping the sensitive reader in mind and giving caveats to dark themes. Tess asks, What's the best way to get books, read them, and then sell or donate? We stay pretty minimal, and I don't want to store a ton of books. I would say that if storage was a huge concern for you, Tess, then you definitely should consider reading on a Kindle or an iPad or whatever your gadget of choice is. Now, of course, you can borrow from the library on your device using OverDrive, and there's other apps. There's also no storage necessary. That's the easiest and cleanest solution. For me, I do have book storage available in my house, but I still only keep books that I love. I do not have hundreds of mediocre books lying around. If I don't care for a book, I give it away, I donate it to the thrift store, to the little free library, to our local library. It feels like bad karma to me to keep books around that I didn't like, so I don't do that. On the other hand, having my favorite books around me feels like I'm surrounded by friends. Bookstagram Ballerina, I love that name, says, I would love to discuss diverse reading goals. There's been a lot of discourse around how white the publishing industry is and how that plays a big part in whose stories are being told. I make a big effort to read diversely, to help expand my understanding beyond my own experience and to learn new perspectives. That's what I find magical about reading. I'm including this because I couldn't agree more. I have also pushed myself in the last few years to read more diverse books. It has really been central to my education about racial bias in this country especially, but it's also helped me get outside of my own various bubbles, religious, political, Los Angeles. We all have them, and reading, I believe, is the best way to see outside of ourselves. I really do. I think for people trying to read more, however... Sometimes you just need to start with what you love. If your goal is too lofty that you're going to have a complete mind shift change by reading, if you're not already a regular reader, I think you might be setting yourself up for failure. If you start reading by just what you love, what you enjoy, after you've built a good habit, try something to stretch your mind or a genre you never would have picked up. A lot of this for me has come from my real life book club. I'm going to do a whole episode about starting book clubs, maintaining book clubs. But one of its biggest benefits, and has been for me for years and years, is reading outside of your normal taste. To learn more, to educate, to stretch yourself, or just to see a different, a totally different genre. It could be like sci-fi or something. It doesn't all have to be mind-changing. It can just be broadening your horizon. Elise asks, I am a voracious reader and pregnant with my first child. I'm so worried I won't have the time space to read anymore. Do you have any tips for maintaining or adapting your reading life with a baby young child? First of all, Elise, congratulations on your baby. Secondly, I had this concern. 
I think lots of new moms do. I remember specifically reading when I was early breastfeeding just to prove to everyone that I could. So I think we all kind of have this worry. Since you are already a reader, I think your pace may slow down, but I don't think that you'll lose this part of yourself completely. I think when we become moms, we need to really pay attention to those things that bring us back to our true selves, while our body and our attention belong so much to someone else for a season. Certain things in life do become limited upon the arrival of a baby, but reading is one of those things you can claim for yourself. And I don't just mean fitting it in in nap time. I think that it's really important for kids as they grow to see us reading, to see moms entertaining ourselves, expanding our minds, to see us in service, not of them or the home or our work, but to see us feeding ourselves in whatever way a book might do that for you. So no guilt about reading while there is a baby on your hip. This has been a lot of words about books, and I could keep going. I really could. If you listen to this because you want to read more, I hope that you got some ideas and inspiration, maybe in my timer trick and how to set goals or not. If you listen to this because you're already a reader and just wanted to see how someone else does it, then please answer the when do you read question. You don't have to do it publicly. You can text it to a friend. You can learn from each other. If you do decide to answer it publicly on social media, please tag the show and use the 10 things to tell you hashtag so we can all see it. I'm Laura Tremaine. You have just listened to the 10 things to tell you podcast. You can find the show notes and subscribe to episode emails at 10thingstotellyou.com slash podcast. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at 10thingstotellyou. You can find out more about me at lauratremaine.com and I'm on Instagram at lara.tremaine. Thanks for listening. Now go share something.